Hey, friends, welcome to the show. Greg Kokel here at Stand to Reason, and uh, I got one of my favorite people of all time on board with me. And many of you know that every year for the last 15 years or so, I have been allowed to partner with my buddy Frank Turek and uh, in a program that he started many years ago called Cross-Examine Instructor Academy. That's coming up the end of July again, so I've asked Frank to be on so we can talk about it. This is Mr. Frank. You want a piece of me? Turek, welcome to it. the show, Frank. The great, great Coco. Hey, Greg, before we get into this, I have a suggestion because um, my superior and your superior when it comes to theology is Amy Hall. And you always put her second on the STR Ask <laughs> podcast, which I listen to, by the way. And I listen to this one, too, every week. How come she goes second? She should go first. <laughs> well, here's the deal. It's kind of like a warm-up band, right? You know, so you got oh, the second right. string in first, and they do the best they can to get things going, and then you bring in the top-notch uh, the crowd, the top-notch band, whatever, you know, the first string. And and by the way, I'm really flattered that you listen to the shows, not just the one with Amy, but you put up with me too. And, uh, you know, you keep doing that, Frank, and one of these days we're going to straighten you out. Yeah, that's right. I know. I'm, <laughs> I'm not totally reformed like you are. But hey, listen. I, I will say this, though, Greg. The um, All the questions you get on STR Ask are questions that I get on college campuses and, you know, questions that are are just out there in the culture. And so it's uh -huh. great you guys are doing that every yeah. week. And then, of course, you do a longer form now. That's the program we're on now. That's right. So That's for those of you that are listening right now, you ought to check out STR Ask. Uh, what, it comes out couple times a week, I think. It does. It? Both shows yeah. comes out twice a week. So we've got uh, uh, two hours this show, uh, mm -hmm. uh, let's see, Wednesday and Friday, and then kind of two other days. We got 25 minutes of STRS. Sometimes we go longer to 30, but whatever. So, uh, so yeah, we're answering the same <laughs> the same questions you answer we're just doing a better job at it so <laughs> amy is amy is greg amy, amy is. is yeah amy Amy's is doing a better so job. i said about 15 years i think 15 years working together 15. with cia was yeah. last year and this is this is this the 16th i think it is the 16th, the 16th. yeah the cross-examine yeah. instructor academy where we try and help people who have an affinity for apologetics and have some knowledge in it take their their game to the next level to be able to present and answer questions and uh, Greg, you were the first person I thought of when we established CIA way back in 2008. Wow. And it was you, really? Brett oh Kunkel, my myself, Gary Habermas, and one or two other people. In that very first time. But Brett's Richard Howe, Rick, maybe? Yeah. Richard Howe, yeah. yeah. And Richard, of course, and Brett have been uh, mainstays yep. uh, from ever since. And uh, somehow we've, we found... Uh, we found Jay Warner Wallace under a bridge abutment somewhere, you know, camped out with the homeless. And so we gave uh, him some work. Are you uh -huh. So, but he's been a, a standard. I don't know if he's on the schedule for this year. He's not this year because he's actually working with uh, Samaritan's Purse and Franklin right. Graham That's up right. in Alaska. Sure. But we, we have some able people that are filling in for the great Jay Warner Wallace, and that includes Alan Parr. You know Alan Parr, the beat with Alan Parr? You know, I know about Alan Parr, yeah. and I met him recently at, I think, a— I think at a, uh, one of our events, uh -huh. um, he did a, a breakout for us, and uh, it was it was really sweet meeting him. I didn't know he's on the docket for this year's CIA, and I'm looking forward to spending more time with him. So tell us a little bit about Alan and some of the other team uh, players that you have. Yeah, here's uh, the lineup: yourself, the, the great Greg Kokel, Mr. Tactics and Story of Reality himself, 
with a new book coming out in September called Street Smarts, which I'm right. reading right now. Very Thank good. You. Yeah, I'm and waiting we got, on that endorsement, Frank. Uh, um, it's I'm coming. Waiting. All right, it, brother. It's it's coming as long as you treat me well. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, I, like I I think I'm I think the endorsement's going to be Greg Kokel is a very humble man. <laughs> And for good reason. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, got it. So we got we got we, us. We got CIA. We got Greg. We got Greg Kokel, Richard Howe, Elisa Childers, Alan Parr, John Ferrer. He just joined our team, and I think his wife Hillary Morgan Ferrer is gonna is gonna make an appearance too. She, of course, is of Mama Bear Apologetics. Oh, she just sent her endorsement in to me. I don't know her, but she, we connected a little bit, and she. So that's great. I'm glad to be able to see her too. Yeah, she'll be there. Be Myself, uh, Jorge Gill, Brett Kunkel, Natasha Crane. And Bobby Conway, it's quite a lineup. If you want to be a part of it, you got to go to crossexamine.org, crossexamine with a D on the end of it.org, and click on events. You'll see CIA, Cross Examine Instructor Academy. We only take about 60 students because if you come to this, it's not just us talking to you. You're going to actually present to us, and we're going to try and help you improve your presentation and question answering skills. So you might get Greg Kokel as your instructor. <laughs> Breathing down your neck. <laughs> That's right. Watch yeah. out. Yeah, well, people say I'm the toughest there, which is fine, because uh, I know everybody has a commitment to really do what they can to help every person on at the event to be the best they can be in these presentations. And, you know, you mentioned Elisa and Natasha. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to remember after the last 16 years, I think Elisa has been to at least two herself, and now she's yes. a premier YouTuber and has got her third book coming out the, uh, the beginning of next year on deconstruction with Tim Barnett and uh, has two others that have been done really, really well on progressive Christianity called uh, Another Gospel and mm -hmm. Live Your Truth and Other Lies. I think that's the title of yep. the second one. So so she is somebody who has really benefited from CIA herself and then went to town with what she learned. Uh, I think, was Natasha also a student at one time at CIA? I can't I'm not recall. sure if Natasha was. I think Natasha really came out of the fact that she had this Christian mom blog, and then she took so many atheists on her blog that that gave her a lot of heat. She says, I need to learn what, you know, how to defend the faith. Yeah. And now I think she's one of the better defenders out there, especially her book, Faithfully Different. It's just really good. I agree entirely. Yeah. Uh, I just talked uh, yesterday with Melissa Doherty. We had a conversation yeah. on the phone, and she is one of the students that has graduated from CIA, also someone who has a tremendous uh, blog presence right now, coming out of New Thought and New Age. She's got her own lane, but that's another person i know um, Greg, Monique, Greg, she's going to be at cia because she's actually going to oh, do a presentation right. because it's that, her church we're at we're that's right know, we're, we're at uh, skip isaac's uh church there the calvary chapel in albuquerque so she was the one that said hey can you come to albuquerque so we move it around the country as you know mm -hmm. to get as many people uh, as we can because no and i know not everyone can travel that far but i think one of the best things about cia greg and i think you agree is that when you come to CIA, you're not just hearing a bunch of lectures and, and you're not just giving a lecture. You're interacting with all the apologists over over breakfast, over lunch, over dinner, right. during breaks. That's the right. beauty of it. That's right. I agree entirely. It's it's uh, You're not looking at something near the stage. It makes a quick exit stage right to the green room and disappears while you guys talk among yourselves. We are there 
to be with you, to be interacting with you, to be answering your questions, and not just like apologetics questions, but questions especially about the craft of communication, whether it's public speaking, and Frank and I both work together uh, on a presentation dealing with uh, that particular issue, or uh, doing YouTube presentation, or having a blog, or writing. Uh, and, and in fact, I the, the first... I had Elisa in one of my classes. I didn't remember that. In other words, I juried her work along with the other students when she spoke for me once um, at CIA. I didn't remember that, but I do remember when she came to advanced CIA and she had a piece of uh, writing that she'd done and she wanted me to help her with it, and and I did. And then uh, it wasn't long after that that I saw a piece that she did on the Internet, and I thought, this gal's gotten pretty good. You know, she should uh, get an agent and write a book, which she ended up doing, which Uh is Progressive Christianity. And so she really grew out of that. This is especially, Frank, uh, I think, helpful for people who are already doing something. They have some kind of momentum, you know. It's not so much for newbies who don't have any any role in doing apologetics, it's it's just going to, they're not going to know where to start. But if you're already involved in apologetics, you're doing some speaking locally, you're, you've got a, a blog or you've got a, um, a, a YouTube something you're building, this is a great environment because you're going to be able to mix it up with people who've been doing this for a long time and doing it well. And they're going to be able to pick at you and answer your questions and give you the kind of counsel that will help you improve in your craft so you can move on from there to wherever it is the Lord takes you. That's right. And you have to go to crossexamine.org to apply. We don't just take anyone. If you apply, you'll see the costs associated with it. The, the tuition somewhere around $1,000 for the full three days. And then, of course, you got to get there, get a hotel room. We have some deals at some local uh, some local hotels, and we can help coordinate if you want to share a room with somebody to save costs. But I will say this, we've been doing this for 15 years, Greg, or six, this will be the 16th year. This is a ministry for us. We don't make any money. In fact, we go in the hole every time to do this. Mm. So we're subs- cross-examined is subsidizing you to come to this. We want you to make your contrib- contribution, uh, but we subsidize you to come to this because we think it's so important to multiply the number of people out there who are presenting the truth in a, in a winsome in an ambassador-like way, as we say, it stand to reason, right? Yeah, that's right. So we've got a Thursday, all day Thursday, mm-hmm. Thursday night too. We have dinner together as a right. team, uh, and uh, different presentations that we do on the fir- that the 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 faculty does on the first day, and then people work that night on their presentations. The next day, more presentations by us, interaction, and then they get to do, break up into groups and mm-hmm. then give their, what, 15-minute presentation? 15-minute presentation. Yeah. And then we interact with them, and uh, and then there's more teaching, and then we let them go that night so they mm-hmm. can work at their presentations for <laughs> right. Saturday morning and uh-huh. then uh, do their best improve. And boy, you know, because the group for the presentations, Frank, stays together, like the six people all in the same room, and the instructors rotate. So the second day, you have a different instructor from the first day. I remember so many times coming in the second day and someone giving their presentation a second time, having benefited from the input and feedback the first time. And and the students there saying, like, OMG, you have improved so much just overnight. Right, taking right. the recommendations that were given by uh, by the instructors and then employing them, and it really, really is a uh, an atmosphere where people can get uh, built up and critiqued in a in an 
encouraging environment. They can tell you what's good and what's bad, how to fix it, how to improve it so you can be better. And uh, I just love the camaraderie that we all share together, not just me and you and Brett Mm -hmm. and the other team, but we're all mixed in together. And we have actually made lifelong friends that have come in there and then gone on to do amazing things for the Lord. So I mean, I tip my hat to you, Frank, for your vision so many years ago. And and how this thing has pro- progressed over the years. It's a great training environment. Give us the details one more time, the um, website, the dates, and th- how they can go about um, applying to be part of CIA this year. Just go to crossexamined.org. Uh, that's crossexamined with a D on the end of it, .org. If you click on events, you'll see CIA. Just click on CIA. And it will explain uh, the course, the lodging, the instructors, the tuition, all that. It's going to be July 27th. That's a Thursday uh, through Saturday, July 29th. And the reason we used to do it in August, we moved it back to end of July just so anybody could be there. Teachers are free. Teachers are not back in school. Mm -hmm. We only take about 60-ish students. And I think we have 45 already signed up. So there aren't many seats left. Mm -hmm. If you want to be a part of CIA, you better get on it this week. You know, yeah, you better just just apply and uh, and get your uh, your application in, and we'll get back to you, and uh, hopefully you can be a part of this. Yeah, and keep you won't mind, forget it. Yeah, you yeah. need to come in on Wednesday night because the That's event right. starts early on Thursday morning, and it goes until late Saturday afternoon. So uh, you could leave late Saturday night if you want. Actually, Albuquerque is more in the middle of the country, so maybe it's not so bad for a lot of people in terms of travel, but many go back on Sunday also, you know, just to get a a breather that night, hang out with new friends that they've made, and and then go back. So um, that's all on them, and uh, all the details about hotel is on the website at crossexamined.org. I, by the way, you mentioned that you're going to be doing something here in Southern California this, uh, what, this uh, May? May 6th, in, in, yeah, in, Natasha. In a couple of weeks, right. Yeah, Natasha Crane, Elisa Childers, and myself are doing an Unshakable Conference at Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills. Mm-hmm. Just go to unshakableconference.com, and you can see the details. We're going to be in Chino Hills here uh, on the 6th, and then in September we're going to be in uh, Tucson, Arizona, and then November we're going to be in Nashville, Tennessee. So we're doing four of these this year. We've already Man. done one in Ohio. And as you know, Natasha and Elisa are just brilliant and top winsome. Top Total top drawer. I'm just privileged to be with them. As you already said, uh, really, Elisa came out of CIA, and she's one of the students that actually did what you told her to do. I mean, you told her she needs to write. I think <laughs> I, I think Jim Wallace said you need to start a blog. I think I think I told her you need to speak and she's done it all. Yeah. <laughs> and she's she's doing it. Yeah, and she uh, isn't her blog one of the most popular is it Christian blogs now on I think I, well, you said something when you introduced her last year that, uh, along that line and it's well, her amazing. her podcast the, is her podcast is probably the top apologetics podcast out there I'd imagine when I look mm. at it. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, so we're taking a backseat to, uh, oh, totally. our student. Uh, yeah. And, and we should, just like, tour, just like you take a backseat to Amy when it comes to theology. I'm just, yeah. 
All right, it's time to move on here, I think, Frank. <laughs> well, what do you mean well, by that, Greg? Yeah. <laughs> How'd you come to that conclusion? May 6th, Unshakable Conference. Is there a website for Unshakableconference.com. Yeah. Okay, good. So people can get all the details if they're in these different locations. I know mm-hmm. you got to go. you got to talk with Jack Hibbs shortly, uh, mm-hmm. have a convo with him about, about the conference coming up. Uh, that's about an hour and a half to two hours from where I'm at. I don't know. If, is that May 6th is Saturday? May 6th is Saturday. May 7th, of course, this, this standard services, Jack and I will be uh, speaking. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, I, you know, maybe I'll show up and harass you guys. We'll see. You know, it's a long drive. It's a what long do you mean drive. by that? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Frank. Uh, thanks Thank for you, uh, th- spending some time with us and say hi to Jack for me. And uh, looking forward, really am looking forward to our time yes, on July be. 27th through 29th, Thursday through Saturday, on this year's CIA in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Thank you, Greg. All right. Take care, buddy. God bless you. Thank you. And let's go to break. And when we get back, we got some calls, man, lined up here to talk about ethics, values, and religion on Stand to Reason. Greg Kogel, your host. Stay with us. As a high school teacher, I always had a red pen close at hand. When I wasn't in front of my students teaching a lesson, you could find me assessing assignments, grading essays, and evaluating exams. The red pen played a crucial role in the educational development of my students. With it, I questioned their assumptions, exposed their errors, and challenged them to think critically. You see, a good teacher doesn't merely tell his students that they're wrong. A good teacher shows his students why they're wrong so they don't make the same mistakes twice. He corrects because he cares. Last year, I was scrolling through social media, and frankly, I was discouraged at all the bad thinking that undergirded much of what I was reading. Then it hit me. What if someone applied the red pen to this flawed thinking? And Red Pen Logic with Mr. B was born. In the last few months, Red Pen Logic has grown in popularity. Through our engaging and shareable educational graphics and videos, we are helping people, especially young people, assess bad thinking by using good thinking. And we have a lot of fun in the process. So here's your homework assignment. Like the Red Pen Logic Facebook page so you don't miss our next graphic. And subscribe at the Red Pen Logic YouTube channel so you don't miss a single video. Class dismissed. Do you have a passion to train people in apologetics, but you don't know where to start? You may be interested in starting an STR Outpost. STR Outposts are local communities of Christians seeking answers to the hard questions about Christianity. Each outpost is led by a qualified director who trains others with STR content and curriculum in their local church. By becoming an outpost director, you will be equipped with the content and coaching you need to lead your own outpost. We currently have more than 60 outposts across the country, and we're adding more each month. If you're interested in learning more about starting an outpost, or you want to find a current outpost in your area, visit str.org outposts. You can also email me, Robbie Lashua, at outposts at str.org. back at you here. Greg Kokel, your host, the show is Stand to Reason. We got a bunch of folks online here, and so I'm just going to jump right in. And my first caller is Johnny in North Carolina. Johnny, welcome to the show. Glad you called. Hey, Greg. Thanks for having me. You're so welcome. What's up? Yes. 
Uh, my question, um, did Jesus ever exist? Okay. That's it? Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, you could say, you could say <laughs> that. And, uh, is there, uh, it's a short conversation. Yes, he did. Well, I can't say it is, though. I, I mean, there's no, what I've learned, there's no, there's no real evidence. There's no, there's no archaeological evidence. And there's no history. Uh, you know, I've, I've been studying everybody from Bart Ehrman to, to, uh, uh, Acharya S and, and everybody. Okay. And yeah, I'm no longer a Christian myself. I've uh, been 12 years removed. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a matter of, of, you know, knowing what the truth is and not worrying about, you know, going to hell. Um, well, if that, a lot of times, sure. If that is the truth, then there's nothing to worry about. You're right. Let me ask you a question, though. You, um, yeah. uh, can you tell me some of the ways that you know that any particular person existed? <clears throat> you have to look up the evidence. What, what kind of evidence? Technology, is well, with the te- uh, archaeological evidence. Archaeological. Okay. What, what, archaeological arch- evidence, as well as textual evidence. Uh, whether it be from scrolls, okay, or what have you, you right? Know, uh, especially if it's something remarkable, like you know Jesus rising from the dead, and sure, a whole cemetery full of people go walking through, you know, town, right? Um, stuff like that. Okay, good. I got gotcha. you. No so you're yeah. talking. Well, you're talking about ancient evidence, which is, I mean, uh, evidence for ancient personalities or personages, and yeah, that's great. That, Archaeological, textual. That's great. Now, but I have a question about this, because what do you make of the primary source documentation about Jesus' life? The Uh, primary source historical documentation of Jesus' life. That would be the New Testament, right? That would be Matthew. That's what everybody quotes. They don't quote anything else. Well, actually, that's not—hold on on just a minute. Uh, Um— that's actually not true. They don't quote anything else. But I'm just asking you about the major source, the primary source documentation. I'm not going to call it the two New Testament, because that's just a religious word given to the collection of all of these books that were written in the early first in the first century, and they were all collected together. They were not under, written in the first wait, century. wait, wait, wait! Just stop. Just stop for a second. Don't jump on top of me, okay? Is that all right? Okay, good. I won't. I'll try not to jump on top of you. And uh, but that I'm not. I'm. I'm not debating that particular point right now, okay? But what I'm saying is that the New Testament is this collection of books, okay? What I'm asking about is simply the primary source historical documentation of the life of Christ, and that is is commonly known as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So I'm just simply asking you what you think of those as textual evidence for the life of Jesus. That's all I'm asking. Those, I believe the... Uh... Uh, the the take on the the, the thesis on the Flavian Caesars creating it the the, know, the thesis on what I, say it again i.e. the Ro- the Roman Catholic Church you know that's where it all comes from Christianity so, as it stands came from the Roman Catholic Church there's no two ways about it okay let me ask so, you can I ask a question about that yeah when did the Roman Catholic Church start. Uh, well, I'd say, uh, I can't, you know, as far as 
the late Book of Roman the Catholic Church, uh, it had to have started when the Flavian Caesars started to throw together uh, the priests. And, you know, eventually he came to, I think, there's, well, not the Council of Nicaea. Okay, so... But but, eventually, I'd say about the 6th century. The 5th century? 5th or 6th century, maybe 7th. Okay, Um, okay, we we actually have whole New Testaments that go back to about the 4th century. In fact, I've seen them with my eyeballs, okay? Yeah, and, well, and, the reason by the season. Wait, um, I'm sorry. Yeah, thank, thank you. Just hold on just a second. You get a shot, okay? And since you say that all of Christianity and all— well, we were talking specifically about the, uh, the, the, the gospel accounts— the primary source historical documents, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, for the life of Jesus, you say it all goes back to the Roman Catholic Church. But now you're saying the Roman Catholic Church didn't start to the 5th or 6th century, but we have Gospels that go back way earlier than that, even by common assessment of secular scholars and critical scholars. So how could the Roman Catholic Church be responsible for Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John when we know that those well, documents existed? Right, I'm just trying to finish. Oh, oh, wait, wait, wait. Johnny, let's, let me finish the sentence. Is that okay? And then I'll let you respond. Yeah. So, I, because the sentence is an important one. How could the Roman Catholic Church, which didn't exist until the sixth cent, 5th or 6th century, according to you, be responsible for the creation of these documents that we know existed easily, we know for sure, by 3rd and 4th century? That's my question of you. That would be because of the Flavian Caesars. Because of the what? The Caesars. The Flavian Caesars. The Caesars. You know what I'm talking about? Did yes. you say? Okay, but I, I, I'm, I'm... Josephus was a Caesar. Flavian Josephus. The, I, I guess I'm having a hard time understanding that word. It sounds to me like you're saying Caesars. Is that right? Yeah, like, like Nero. Augustus Caesar. Caesar like, yeah. And Nero and all that, okay. Yes. But 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 you said that it was the Roman Catholic Church that is responsible for the documents we call the Gospels. As we have it but today, they... before the Roman Catholic Church was established, the Flavian Caesars were the ones that wrote the Gospels. The Caesars, okay, the, the the Roman the Church, the, the Roman Catholic Church was established after the Caesars. Right. So you're wanted saying to, uh, wanted to establish. A one world, well, one religion. Okay, they snuffed out all the pagan temples and all the pagans. They said, "This is the only. This is the only only way you want to." But you know, the, have. Uh, you're talking yeah. about the Caesars did this now. I mean, it's pretty good history that m- most of the Caesars for the first 400 years persecuted Christians, and it wasn't until uh, Constantine that Christianity became legal. It wasn't the the religion of the realm until 50 years later, but in in uh, the early 4th century, that's when Christianity became legal and there was no persecution. So how is it possible that the Caesars are responsible for writing the Gospels when they were the ones who were persecuting the Christians that believed the Gospels? Well, that's going to have to go back to where uh, it depends on what kind of Christians they were. Okay, the Gnostic Christians— those were the ones that definitely got persecuted. Those are the ones that are exposing the church for what it was. Now, there's there's no argument. There might have been a Christos or the anointing type of cult back then. Okay, the the Christ Jesus Christ is a title. It's not a name. 
you know, say it's Joshua, you can go right ahead. But it's just, it's not, it's, it's a matter of uh, what Christians actually got persecuted. And I've even read the Fox's Book of Martyrs, okay? When I was a Christian, I, I, I really clung to that book. You know, I even, you know, being a doomsday prepper as a, a Christian at the time, I was thinking about what is going on. I was psychologically preparing myself to to be tortured to death, trying not to deny Christ, okay? Because, I mean, what would be the point in torturing somebody to, to deny Christ? Well, uh, well, if there was no Christ. I, I, if, there, if there, you know, well, if there is no Christ, then you got nothing to worry about. Okay, if you so, believe there was, it would be like, you know, well, you're going, you okay, deny Christ, he's going to get denied, you'll go to hell. Okay, so... But, you know, the, the, the Flavians started it, the Roman Catholic Church was established later, uh, the Pope is a priest, okay, um, a priest and priestess, you know, there's, I've, I've used to be a, a practicing Wiccan, uh, I've taken two courses in witchcraft. So I know the I know a priest when I see one. Well, there could um, be priests of different religious uh, things. So I mean, yeah, a, a priest in witchcraft is very different than a than a priest in Buddhism. <laughs> you know, I mean, to be well, to be yeah, fair with the differences between the religious uh, viewpoints. I have a question the though Catholic here. Catholic Church is is pagan. Okay, I have a I have a a, a question here, and the issue in yeah. what we started out is not whether. The, the legitimacy of the religious views of Rome, but the existence of the person of Jesus. That was the question yes. you raised, okay? And as I, I'm following the conversation, you say, I asked, what do you make of the primary source historical documents that inform us about the life of Jesus of Nazareth? And that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There are other documents, actually 17 other documents, outside of any biblical literature, biblical writer, that, uh, that chronicles some things about Christianity and Christians and Christ. But apart from that, like those, 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 apart from just those four major doctrines, documents, you said it was the Roman Catholic Church that was responsible for it, but those documents existed in the third century intact. We have copies of them, and Rome didn't start by your admission until the fifth and sixth century. So that's part of the confusion here for no, me. No, Rome was established before Christ was even supposedly born. I've got Roman coins Wait. that go back. But, no, 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 no. Uh, that wasn't what I was referring to. Sorry, I said the Roman Catholic <clears throat> Church. That is the that is the bishop of Rome having ascendancy over all the church, and that happened, like you said, more like fifth and sixth. But the century. Caesars had. I'm sorry. The Caesars had established the uh, the Gospels before the church was established. Okay, so this is this is an interesting claim. It's one I have never ever heard in my life. I have never well, seen. Uh, check well, it let, out, man. Really let me just it. finish the thought because there are there's other information here. Not only have I never heard that in my life, but it seems contrary to everything I know about all the Caesars up until the time of Constantine. Plus, there are two things I just want you to think about because this is a question of the historical documentation and the legitimacy of what appears to be historical documentation of uh, Jesus of Nazareth. Will Durant. Have you ever heard the name Will Durant? I have not, no. D D okay, Will and Ariel Durant wrote the most uh, famous work of history in history, the Pulitzer Prize winner, History uh, of Civilization. And they have an entire volume that is titled Caesar and the Christ. In other words, they're looking at the Caesars from, the, from that period of time and Jesus' life. Now, it strikes me as 
as unbelievable in the extreme that a Nobel Prize winning historian could be writing a whole volume about a person in history that never existed, which is your claim. So that's the first point. Here's the second one very quickly, because you may want to respond. You mentioned Bart Ehrman. Now, Bart Ehrman is a vigorous critic of Christianity. He used to be a Christian. He's probably an atheist now, but he's a vigorous critic of Christianity. But he does not hold your view. In fact, he is vigorously against your view. And when he talked, uh, he fielded a question, and I watched this happen in an event. I've got the video of it. He fielded a question by someone who said, like you did earlier, that there is no historical evidence for Christianity, and so you don't. Th- he didn't think that Jesus ever existed. For Christ, yeah. Christ. I'm sorry. You're right. Thanks for the correction. For Christ, yeah. Bart Ehrman jumped in, and he said, "Well, I see a lot of historical evidence for Christ. I wrote a whole book on it." And then he gave his reasoning. He said that there is a lot of historical documentation that is early. It's early in history, and it's corroborated by other historical documentation. And then he explains some of the things we know for sure for history from history based on this. And he told the, the I guess it was an atheist who made the claim. He said to the atheist, um, "There is not an academic in the field in the world that believes what you just said." Now, notice this is coming from a critic of Christianity, not from a Christian, but he says the academic world is of one mind that Jesus existed and that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are reliable sources of information about him. Now, obviously, Bart Urban doesn't believe everything that's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but he doesn't reject them all. And uh, he accepts a lot of it as historical information. And then he said to the atheist, he said, please quit saying what you just say it said, I sympathize with your views, but you just sound basically uneducated when you make that claim. Now, that's coming from Bart Ehrman, who's one of the top guys in the field, even though not friendly to my theological view. So I'm going to, st- for myself, and I'll give you a last word here in a minute, but I- I'm going to stick with yeah. Nobel Prize laureate, uh, I mean, um, Pulitzer Prize winning Will and Ariel Durant and their uh, history of civilization and Bart Ehrman's point of view on the reality of Christ as a man, Jesus of Nazareth as a man of history, rather than what you're suggesting about Caesar's creating that as a fiction. So do you, I'll give you the last word here, because we got to move on. Yeah, uh, well, again, I will, I have to say, you know, just because they're a Pulitzer Prize, Pulitzer Prize runner, uh, you know, I still have to scrutinize what they're doing, because yes. of what I've, what I've studied as far as uh, the Caesars go. And I've, I've studied Bart Ehrman. I was just watching one of his debates earlier today. Um, he's he's still in the in the realm of saying Jesus was actually a historical figure. I don't believe he he probably doesn't believe it was a the only begotten Son of God and a Savior. Correct. But uh, but uh, there's multiple crucified saviors that go right along with Jesus. Quetzalcoatl. Um, well, that's not uh, the issue Horace. we're talking about right now. We're just talking about the history yeah. of Jesus well, of Nazareth. Is, no, that's this all. Is it. This is on the topic. This is there's multiple crucified saviors. There is, you can look them up. It's easy to do. As hmm. far as being educated or uneducated, uh, you still have not given me anything. And no Christian on the planet that I've ever met 
can actually tell me, here is this source data right here. Okay, I got it. Thank you, Johnny. I really enjoyed the conversation together, and I'm glad that you had an opportunity to make your case. So uh, maybe you can call again. We can chat again. So thanks so much. Let's go to break. I'm Stan to Reason. Greg Kokel, your host. Did you know Stan to Reason has a YouTube channel? We release a new video each Monday on the topics you care about. Through short, engaging videos, our speakers train you on tactics, offer apologetics tips, answer common theology questions, and address big issues in the world today. Join tens of thousands of other subscribers so you can stay up to date when we release a new video. Just go to youtube.com and search STR videos, all one word, and hit the subscribe button. That's STR videos. Take advantage of this free resource to help you stay informed, encouraged, and equipped as you share your worldview with others. Friends, if you like this broadcast, I know you'll love Hashtag STRask. It's our shorter 20-minute podcast where I am paired with the wonderful Amy Hall, and together we answer the questions you send us on Twitter. Hashtag STRask is released twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays, and it's only about 20 minutes long, so it's perfect to listen to on your morning jog or while driving around running errands or cleaning your garage or just plain loafing at home. Amy and I tackle your questions on theology and ethics and culture and lots more, offering our insight on the questions you're asking or the challenges you face. You can listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your own shows. Just remember, send us your questions on Twitter using the name of the podcast, hashtag STRask. That's hashtag STRask. <laughs> There's our whistle. I like that. All right, back at you here. And uh, let's go to Andrew in Houston, Texas. Uh, Andrew, I understand Houston's not a very pleasant city to live in. What do you think? Did I hit the right button? Andrew. Andrew. Andrew in Houston, Texas. I know that's number one. He's number one. Maybe Andrew went away. Can I hit, can you put, oh, Amy's in. Uh, maybe I can put him on hold again. If I, the top button is on hold, I'm just going to take a chance. Yeah. Okay. So I put him on hold. Let's go to Aunt, Andy. Yeah, I can do that. Okay. Let me go to number three. Andy, your turn. Hey, how you doing? Hey, doing hey, good. Before we get going, just want to encourage everyone to be a strategic partner. Oh, uh, thank you. I listened to you guys for like, 10 years, and sadly, I did not become a strategic partner until like a year ago, so it's never too late. Wow. Okay. I agree heartily. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, it takes it takes resources, man. If we all just chip in a little bit, man, you guys can get some more work done. So Yeah, that's the way it works. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, yeah. Andy. So what's so, on your I mind? Describe, yeah, I want to describe a, a conversation I had with my wife. Uh, recently, we just decided to... Well, it's been a long decision coming. Um, I've listened to your decision-making will of God years ago. Um, agree with you on all that. Mm -hmm. We made a decision to move out of state, and we have, you know, a whole family, a bunch of kids, and it's a huge, huge family, like legacy change, right, moving out of state. <clears throat> and uh, we were talking about what would happen, like, let's say in the future we get to this other state, and our son gets in, you know, some random car accident and dies or something crazy, mm -hmm. right? And we're thinking, 
surely on one end, if we didn't move, that wouldn't have happened. So if we do move and something bad really, you know, something does happen, how does God's sovereignty play into that type of tragedy? Is it is it God's plan for it to happen? God knew it was going to happen. It was a part of a plan. Um, I'd, I'd like to think that God knows our death day. I mean, nothing's a surprise. Sure. <laughs> yeah. It would be so, a problem if God did not know. Uh, and these things caught him by surprise. Uh, this this issue of God's sovereignty is sometimes a little bit difficult to talk about because it's mysterious, okay? <clears throat> and the the principle, I think, the broadest principle, and this is where having Amy on board is really helpful because she's, she's much more articulate in this than I am, so um, that maybe she can— um, uh, correct me during the break or something, but because we do talk, do talk about this on STRS too. But mm-hmm. uh, the the, um, the 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 idea that God is sovereign is that means He is He is Lord over everything that happens. Okay, and probably mm-hmm. in the broadest sense, you could say He either causes things or He allows things, and whether He causes or allows them, He does that for His good purpose. So that there is nothing that is outside of the realm of the sovereignty of God, all right, and okay. uh, and so in the in one sense you could say, if we chose to move here and something happens in this new place, had we not chosen to move there, that thing wouldn't have happened. Well, that's true, but that's true. I mean, presumably that's true about everything in life. Mm-hmm. There are all kinds of decisions that we make that are unrelated to some tragedy that had other decisions been made. When I say unrelated, they are not directly causal to the tragedy. Had other decisions been made, you would not have been confronted with that issue, but you would have had a different path that would have had in that path other things that would have taken place that were not good by our standards, okay? And that what the sovereignty of God does for me, uh, in, in, in the sense of how I apply it in my life, or how I see it or understand it, how it helps me, is that regardless of whatever ever path that we choose, God is still there in it. He knows what is going to take place, and whatever takes place, He either causes or allows for His purpose and for our greater good. And that's the Ephesians 5, I'm sorry, the uh, Romans 8 passage, where, mm-hmm. where it says, we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. So this would, this would uh, be Christians, okay? And, and the, the, right. the way, the, the end that he, is, he, is, he has in mind uh, that all things work together for good is the rest of the verse. For those whom he, uh, now I got to get it because I, I broke it up in the middle. Those I think he said for um, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. Okay, so mm-hmm. and that's why we know this is talking about Christians. Partly because the language, you know, um, those who love him, called according to his purpose, and, and those will be conformed 
to the image of his son. So the world isn't going to be conformed to the image of his son, but what God has promised us, and now we're not, I'm not talking about all the other events in the world that would fall underneath the sovereignty of God, that he's managing and working with and whatever, because I don't know about all that stuff, what he's doing in history in particular, and why he lets this president be elected, not another one, and all these crazy things happen. But when it comes to our own lives, which is what you were talking about um, uh, in your question, um, that God has committed himself to care for us in such a way that no matter what happens, he is going to use those things to conform us to the image of his Son. And in our life, when we are conformed to Christ, that is the valuable thing that we take with us into eternity. You know, Paul says in another place, um, Physical exercise profits a little, okay? You go out and pump iron, you get a little profit. But, by contrast, godliness is a means of great gain, for it holds a promise not only for this life, the benefits of godliness here, but also for the life to come. So I want to look at this passage that I just cited, and then then I want I'll, I'll let you jump in here, and, and we can knock this around a little bit more. It says sure. we in verse twenty eight and following, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God, to those who are, uh, are called according to His purpose for those whom He foreknew. Now this is an important phrase here. Those whom He foreknew. That foreknew, fore, foreknowing here is not omniscience. It isn't the things he knew in advance. It's the people he knew in advance. To foreknow a person is not the same thing as to know in advance what the person will do. Those are entirely different. The word foreknowledge is used in First Peter chapter 1 about the plan that God had to sacrifice his son on our behalf. It's the foreknowledge, through the foreknowledge of, of God, there was a plan. So foreknowledge is a word that means God's deliberate plan, not just knowing something in advance. But through that plan, he also predestined us to be conformed to the image of his Son. So, uh, and that's, it says more here, but I'm just going to pause there for a moment. Uh, sure. And so this is the way God's sovereignty cashes out for me. If I were in your place, well, I am in your place. In other words, I'm a Christian who makes decisions about my life that takes me in different directions, which directions have consequences, and things happen, and they're not always good in the sense that I enjoy them. They may even be tragic, and we all have that. Where's God in all that? He's right there in the middle of it. He's there using whatever happens for good by using it to conform me to the image of his son for the long-term right. payoff, not the short-term payoff. Yeah. The hard thing that we were thinking about is like on a raw, you can call it logical level or counterfactual level. Like the opposite could be said is true, right? If, if we stay in this state, in this house and something bad happened, man, if I only would have moved, that never would have happened. Right. Like that's one. Correct. Aspect. But you, it just seems, it seems like I want to have my cake and eat it too, where I want, like, I want the, 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 um, the decision-making to be, hey, 
God is like, I'll bless you whether you stay, I'll bless you whether you go. Either way, I'm going to conform you to make you more like my son. However, I also, <clears throat> that makes me think, if we were to go and something were to happen and something bad happens like that, and it could be directly affected to the move, I mean, that's a pretty obvious connection. If we never moved, that never would have happened. It seems like God is using a scenario that I chose, and he's now going to conform us out of it. He's going to make us more like his son through that's, that tragedy. That's but had we he would have made us like his son in another way, which would have been far more pleasurable, you know? Presumably it might be worse. This is what we don't know. And oh, this is point. why when we talk about the sovereignty of God, that's kind of behind uh, the, the, the curtain— those consequences are behind the curtain of his sovereignty. And we don't get to peek into his sovereign will. We have some broad characterizations of that. When we read Scripture, we know here are the things that God wants to do. In this passage we're reading, it is God's sovereign purpose that he will, in fact, cause all things to work for good, etc. Okay, we know the, the fate of the wicked and those who are forgiven by, through Christ. We know, the, in, you know, the end of the world, you know, there's going to be a final judgment, and we win in the end. There are a lot of things that we know very generally about God's sovereign purposes, but when it comes to the particulars of our life, we don't know that. We can only know it in hindsight. And so the, the role that sovereignty plays in our decision-making is that it, whatever ends up eventuating as we are doing the best we can to make good, wise, morally sound decisions, whatever eventuates in the process, God is there with us using it for our good. Mm. So and I, I, just add, I just want to add that for those who do say, you know, well, do you have a peace about it type of scenarios? Like, am I at peace? No, I'm I'm freaking scared. Like, it's, it's, <laughs> you know what I mean. I, but I, I, feel like it's, I do know. It's the thing to do. I understand know? entirely. And and yeah. this, by the way, this is an important lesson because um, you're making a reference, and you're familiar with our material, but some might not be. Uh, you're making reference to a um, a criteria many people have, a criterion people have to determine if this is the specific thing God wants them to do in their life. And that's what they call finding the will of God. And that criterion is they have a piece about it. They get it from Colossians chapter 3. But of course, Colossians chapter 3 is not talking about that at all, that the peace of Christ's rule in your heart is the is the phrase or sentence they lift out of the context. And um, that Paul isn't, rather, Peter, no, Paul isn't talking at all about using this as a method for standard decision-making in your life to divine what God is deciding on our behalf. It's it's completely foreign to the context. Um, and in fact, it assumes that God is going to make the choices for us, and this is one of the tricks that we use to figure out what He's decided so that we can decide ourselves. This is not a New Testament teaching, the way it's being practiced by, frankly, by, I would say, easily the, <laughs> the majority of uh, evangelicals, because they just absorb this from their culture, okay? And so, um, you're, and you're right, lots of times when we are choosing what is the right thing to do, or a good thing to do, or we have to make a tough choice, we're not going to have peace about it, and that's not an evidence that it's not the right thing to do. 
Sometimes we're faced with hard choices, and none of the options look good, and they're really scary. And sometimes we're faced with choices that we really need to make, and, and, and it's terrifying. I mean, I'm thinking of things even in my own private life. When you have relationships with people, sometimes you need to have a confrontation. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, right? Yep. Yes, but is that easy? No way. No way. Is is there consternation often emotionally associated with that? Absolutely. And mm-hmm. this is why an application, as you're pointing out, <clears throat> an application, this isn't a good criteria for whether a decision is a good one or not. Now, I would say if if a person is anticipating or planning a course of action and they really are distressed about it, that's a good signal. It's a human signal. I don't think I, I'm not saying it's even a divine sign, but it's a signal that maybe you're missing something consciously that you're aware of subconsciously. Time to slow down and take another look. Right. Right. But when you mm-hmm. do that with counsel from Scripture and counsel from other Christians who've been around the block a few times, and it still seems like the right thing to do, then you, even apart from, regardless of the consternation or whatever, you still have to strike out in some direction, and maybe that direction is is a hard one to go, but that's okay, because that's the way life is, and a lot of our decisions are like that. Yeah, for us, it was for us it was a matter of uh, choosing priority, you know, choosing priorities, and it's it's there's no easy answer in hard decisions sometimes, and it's you're going to lose in some scenarios where mm-hmm. that you not lose, you know, comfortability in one area or support in another area, right. but when the high priority hits the road and you have to make that decision, you have to or at least what we did, just we're walking in faith that, hey, this is the right mm-hmm. thing for our family, whether we're scared or not, we're going to have to sure. start thinking out of Well, let me, let me just put some substance to walking in faith, because I think what some people might hear you say is, we're still going to do, and you're not saying this, I know from what you said earlier, but they hear you say, and this is what they mean, I'm still going to do what I think God's telling me to do, and I'm just going to do that and trust that it's going to work out. Well, on my view— you know, God doesn't make those decisions for us. Right, right. In right. His sovereignty, He's still in control, but He's not telling us, okay, don't worry, I'm going to give you A, B, C, D, E, if you could decipher my hints, and then right. you can do that. What you're saying is, we're going to make our best decision based on the wisdom we have, and then we're going to trust that God will be in control regardless, you know? Yep. You're not throwing yourself down from the 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 temple pinnacle like he, Jesus was tempted you're not uh you're not testing god you're not doing something foolish you're making a tough decision that you know has ramifications in multiple different directions whether you go or you stay there're going to be ramifications and 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 you may be like between the devil and the deep blue sea you know uh on the one hand your choice has liabilities on the other hand the choice has liabilities now what none look good. I, I don't suspect that's the circumstance you're in right now, but you know there are liabilities and benefits for each choice, and uh, staying or going or whatever, and who knows? Nobody knows, really, what's going to eventuate with your choice, but what you said, I'm trusting God, we're trusting God, that means we're going to 
make our best shot, and then put our confidence in the Lord to take care of us regardless of what happens. And uh, if it's harder than we expected, well, God is still there. He is still sovereign. We are still in His care. And that, I think, is the right thing to do. Um, Indeed, you know, James talks about this in James chapter 5 or something, and he says, uh, don't say, I'm going to go to this town or that town and do this or that. Say, rather, if God wills, we'll do this or that. And his point there is really banking on the sovereignty of God there. He said, you don't even know if you're going to be alive tomorrow to do this or that that you're planning. So the planning isn't bad. Planning is fine. It's the planning with an understanding that God can intervene at any time or allow something you did not plan for to happen, and in that circumstance, you're still going to trust Him. And that sounds to me like what you're doing, Andrew. Mm. Sound right? Appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right, buddy. Okay. Thank you for your call. Yeah, thank you. And perfect timing there. There comes my, uh, my music. And uh, that's the end of the hour. Andrew, you just great timing there. <laughs> All right, friends. Thank you for joining this hour for me. I'm Greg Kokel. Thank you for joining this hour with me. I'm Greg Kokel for Stand to Reason. Give them heaven. Bye-bye now. <laughs>